Hey everyone. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> hey everyone. Welcome to Creepy Inquiries. A podcast dedicated to all things creepy, spoopy, and true crimey. With your host. Don't look at me like that. And Kevin. <laughs> your friendly neighborhood queers. Yeah, we're all friendly. <gasps> Let's dive And me, not good. But you don't sweat. I hate going, like, I hate feeling sweaty. Like, it's Mm. irrational. And I understand that. But, like, I just, I can't function in the sun. Like, I get overheated immediately and then vomit in public a lot, as Kevin is aware of. And I will get third degree burns in February. So, I hate it, but I will live with it. Okay. That you is, know? that's, that's an assumption. That's a fair You don't stance. have anything like an irrational, like just visceral reaction to? No, I'm not irrational. I have like a long list. Okay. But I'm not, but I'm not irrational. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Who just said that? Okay. That couldn't have been me. Wait, I just realized that my output is not coming out of my headphones. No. La, 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 la. Well, it's not giving me the option. Sounds like uh-huh. an 80s love ballad. I know. You're not That's giving me the option, the option to love you. But I believe someone to care. Kevin, when are we going to start that band? Soon as this podcast, like... Flies, soars, which is any day now. How has your week been? You know, my week has been wonderful. Has it? What did you do? What didn't (laughs) I do is the better question. (laughs) This is a double. We've clearly not even left the room from the last Yeah, sorry. Yeah, we uh, recorded two episodes in one day, so... We didn't even want to, like, we're too lazy to even, like, make up what we did. Yeah, no, I was trying to think, and I was like, I don't know what I do during a normal week, except, like, so I could say I um, uh, I watched probably reruns of Bob's Burgers for sure. Ooh, I mean, I, yeah. Um, I definitely made dinner a few times. Good for you. You're not better than me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think it's been a good week. <laughs> I sure think that too. I, you know what? We have a great week. We, we have do. had a great week. We have had a great week or else. Or else. Future selves. Yeah. I'll so, ask yeah. myself. I'm not above it. <laughs> um, I do want to bring up though. Um, I think I have entered that part of your age where mm. your knees just are like, okay, I'm just going to like hurt sometimes now. 
So yeah. my 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 left knee is just like Does not it hurt? great. A little is bit. It, is it swole or is it crunchy? No, no, it's not either of those. Crunchy. Oh, my knees are crunchy. Swole. No, but crunchy. I think I'm the only person I know who has crunchy knees. As loudly crunchy as mine are. I have captured that in episode two. You can find it's, that right at the louder. very beginning of that episode. Go, go, go press play. It's Leopold and Loeb. So um, I love being famous and being a celebrity. Do you have any news or any updates or announcements? I, well, my knee hurts. Right, right. Sorry. I thought, I forgot we already went through the news. <laughs> Breaking news. We've gone Minor through this. soup's crunchy. Yes. So how, um, I mean, what okay, are you so like, I guess we're, I guess we're all caught up. <laughs> Yeah, I think by this point in the our, our episode airings, you will have finished Screams 1 through 3, probably. Um. Oh, yeah, definitely. Wednesday. I feel like three movies in a week and a half is a lot to ask of me personally, but I'll try. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You know what? what? I won't pay attention. Mm. I cannot express to you how much of my life is me yes. wanting to do something. Yes, fretting having about it, thinking about it. to do something and having the ability to do something and not be able to do it. Yeah, those often do not intersect. No, it, my executives are dysfunctioning. You so, need to shake up your board. Executives have like boards. No, no, no. I, no, you, that's great. Now I'm just thinking yeah. of that movie with all the little emotions. Inside out. Inside out. Does this cool. mean whenever I get, like, if I ever get deposed, everything will be hearsay? No, that I, I say. don't know what that means. Because it's like, I genuinely don't remember it. It's, it's that is like your answer. If. No, your answer is I don't recall. Mm, no, I'm going to go with this. I'm going to go with the other one, the theory. Okay. So hearsay, what is hearsay to you? Hearsay is when, when someone retell no i'm not hands are here okay. it's mm-hmm. like when you tell the uh, something in the court of law mm-hmm. that wasn't witnessed by you or heard by you directly actually very close hearsay is the out of court statement of another given for the purpose of asserting the truth of the matter so not only so I'm in court and you're yeah, so not I said. there. Yeah, okay. I'm in court and you're not there. And I'm on the stand and I'm like, yeah, Kevin told me. Right. Whatever I'm going to say after that is hearsay. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. And here we are. <laughs> cool. Hey Kevin. <laughs> you got any crime for me? I Can think I do. Talking? I sure do. And before I begin, do you have an up- uplifting spoopy story? <sighs> I mean, no, but it's not like horrendous. It's not a like a. It's not like a bad story. It's Good. not uplifting by any. We don't do bad stories here, listeners. No, no, no not. I mean, we all know that. <laughs> I mean, like it's it's not like a traumatizing big deal story. Okay. Why? That doesn't answer me. <laughs> Wait, what's your question? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, just like, is your story... It's not uplifting. No. Lighthearted. I, I guess in the scheme of things, 
Okay. I was, it's more I was real just, than a cryptid. Okay. I was just asking because my story is just a little down. So Okay. No, this will be... Th- Mine will be more up than yours. Good. Yes. Yeah. So like I said, today's story is going to be a little of a down... Well, a lot of a downer. It's a really tragic case. Okay. It is historically significant. And oh. I am ashamed to say that I didn't know a lot about this. I hope I'm in the minority of people who have, haven't heard about it so much before. I mean, if it's history, I'm sure you're not. But if you don't yeah. know it, thanks for tuning in. Yes. We're learning on a journey. So learning. on June 21st, 1964, near okay. the tiny central Mississippi town of Philadelphia in Neshoba County, I think I'm pronouncing that right, N-E-S-H-O-B-A, Three young men disappeared. Mm. Their names were Mickey Schwerner, James Cheney, and Andrew Goodman. Schwerner and Goodman were from New York City, and James Cheney was from nearby Meridian, Mississippi. Miss, you are shaking your head. It sounds like you know the story. Yeah, I know. I don't. I probably don't know a lot, but I know those names. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, their murders were brutal. And they were highly planned. And as you can imagine, being that I'm talking about a story from the 1960s in the Deep South, members of the KKK bore responsibility, but they were not alone. And that's what we're going to like talk about today. Okay, let's do it. Okay. So Mickey Schwerner and James Cheney worked for the African-American Civil Rights Organization Mm -hmm. Congress of Racial Equality, or CORE, uh, and they were there during the summer of 1964, spring and the summer of 1964, to raise awareness for Black enfranchisement and to get more uh, Black Americans in Mississippi to register to vote, because at that time, this was you know, obviously... Yeah, this was pre-Civil Rights mo- Movement, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. So at that time, I believe it was around like 6% of voting age black Americans in Mississippi were registered. So obviously like they're through decades of law after law after law limiting their ability to vote, you know, that's where we were at. Andrew Goodman, he was one of the hundreds of college students from across the country who volunteered to work on the initiatives that were part of the 1964 Mississippi summer project an entire initiative to get more black people to be registered in the South. And it was a combination right. of events and coordination from CORE, the NAACP and SNCC, which is the student nonviolent coordinating committee. Hmm. Okay. So the three men, you know, they definitely believed that their work was necessary and they were there for a, a, good a purpose in their lives. Yep. And a good reason. And they also knew that there were, inherent dangers that came along with that. Right. And with KKK membership in 1964 Mississippi, there were thousands of known Klansmen in the state. And there's, I think, only about like 2 million residents at mm-hmm. the time in the 60s. Okay. The Klan was okay. violently prepared for the fight against the civil rights movement at all costs. And, okay. you know, they, they started their deadly campaign in 64 to do what 
they've always done. Over the course of the summer of 1964, members of the Klan had burned down uh, around 20 black churches. Mm -hmm. On June 16th, they burned down Mount Zion Methodist Church, which was a black church that had agreed to be a site for um, both a religious school for education and for voting registration. Got it. And before the arson, Klan members uh, had severely beaten several people who were attending a meeting there as well. So this was like an, this was like an organized, like full scale, like attack. Like this was oh, like yes. days long. It was a coordinated attack throughout the the weeks and months of the spring and the summer. Yeah, my memory's really spotty because I know what happens, mm-hmm. but I'm just now realizing I don't really know. Like I knew that they were civil rights workers. I knew Mm -hmm. that they were in Mississippi and I knew it was right before I think the civil rights act had been passed. Mm -hmm. And I knew that people were super pissed about it, but I didn't. Okay. Nice. Love not knowing it. Please tell me. I mean, you got all of that right so far. So you you got that part. (laughs) All right. All right. Um, Schwerner had been working closely with James Cheney um, throughout the weeks beforehand And on the morning of June 21st, 1964, the three men set out for Philadelphia in Neshoba County, where they were sent to investigate the recent burning of Mount Zion Methodist. And so while they were there, they had been flagged of their presence with law enforcement. People were aware that they were there. Yes. And these were, weren't weren't the two men from New York, weren't they Mm -hmm. white? Yes, they were. They were. Okay. They were white and, and then uh, only James Cheney was black. Cheney was from, he was from Meridian and he was mm-hmm. black. Got Correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. So the clan's gotten word that they're there. And upon returning to Mississippi, the three men visited the charred remains of the church. And then mm-hmm. on the drive back to Meridian, uh, yeah. their station wagon, known, like I said, by the cops as a core vehicle, uh-huh. Uh, it was stopped by Deputy Sheriff Cecil Price. And that's where he arrested all three of them for allegedly speeding 35 miles over the uh, allotted 30-mile speed limit. Okay. Oh, and I forgot to mention, Debbie Sheriff Cecil Price was um, also a member of the Ku Klux Klan. I don't know if you've Not ever heard of them. Not, um, you know, I've heard of like the Klan, but I don't know about this Ku Klux business. Did I ever tell you about the time I protested a Klan rally in college? No. Honestly, that's the entire story. God um, damn it, miss. I just, I went to, I went to, well, listen, my history of college is like really long. But the first mm-hmm. time right out of, right out of high school, I went to a small school in Western, Midwestern Maryland, where they had um, just like a annual, just clan walk through the town mm. <laughs> and uh, just that's all it was it's like them and horses in the sheets and just walking uh so i mean honestly it was just college kids with you know flags and posters and it was fun hey. that was it though i mean they were they didn't they just they were there for their their parade and then they left so it was really anticlimactic <laughs> Damn. Well, hey. But it was like 2006 or seven. Yeah. Which like we have to remember like right now, like that would be like great. Yeah, we know that happens. But I think in 2007, 
It was Mm -hmm. alarming. I remember Mm -hmm. being like, obviously I know the clan has never stopped, but to be there while it happened, it just felt like something that was like, I mean, we weren't, we were from Baltimore. It felt like Mm -hmm. something that was so far away from us. And I was barely an hour and a half away. Um, And like, it was there parading in the streets. Yeah. Anyway, that that's like the whole story though. I didn't, I didn't like do anything. I just, I stood there with like a flag. I love it. Thank you for your service. (laughs) You, you, sir, are welcome. Do it for you. So uh, where we last left off on our story, the three men had been arrested and pulled over. The trio was taken to a jail in Philadelphia around 4 p.m. where James Cheney was booked for speeding because he was the one driving. While um, Scherner and Goodman were booked, quote, for investigation, which... Which they're just holding them. Holding which, what's them. it, 1964 in Mississippi? They can just do whatever yes, they want. Yes, ma'am. Yep. <laughs> so laws yep. are not even guidelines, I think. No. And uh, despite the fact that the schedule of fines for speeding was posted on the wall... Price said that three men would have to remain in jail until the justice of the peace arrived. Yeah. And so he could process the $20 fine. Well, you want to make sure it's by the book. Yes. You need to make sure. I mean, because listen, if it wasn't done by the book, these Mm. criminals Mm. would just go back out on the street Uh having paid no price for their serious, serious, literally. serious crimes. Figuratively and literally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also, Schwerner asked to make a phone call, but Deputy Price denied that request and left mm. the jail entirely. He just left yeah. doing something. Listen, he We don't know. Deputy, I mean, listen, this is a busy man. I, I watched... Scream one, and uh, yeah. I know what a deputy Do does, and he's very important and very busy. Very important, very busy. So now we're back in Meridian, Mississippi, and that's where the core office was. And the core staff started calling nearby jails and police stations around five thirty, inquiring about the three men because that was their standard practice right. when organizing failed. They just excuse me when they've been arrested. Right, when people didn't come back to their right. uh, offices. The jailer's wife claimed that there was no phone call from them on June 21st, but core records show that they did place a call to the Philadelphia jail at 530. I wonder what records would be. The, on whose side? No, no, I'm just curious, like, what phone records would have been kept in, like, 1964? Mm. Well, may, just, yeah, you're right. I don't know. Maybe they yeah. kept logs of it or something like when they talked. Yeah, no, I I, I, I mean, I have to say I don't. I yeah. don't know if I believe the sheriff. And of course, staff had the correct instincts because uh, Deputy Price was holding them in custody while the other KKK members were preparing for their eventual murder. Yeah. Deputy Price returned to the jail around 10 p.m., he collected Cheney's speeding fine of $20 with no justice of the peace president, of course, and Isn't told that? the three men to get out. What? I'm sorry. Oh, what do you mean? What? Huh? You think? But, but I thought we were following the letter of the law. I mean, the justice of the peace needed to be present to. And he, but you're saying now, but you're telling what you're telling me now is that there was no justice. 
Yes, ma'am. That's what I'm telling you. It's very confusing. Very wobbly. I'm very, I'm very unsure. So he collected the money and told the three men to get out of the county. And at that point, that was the beginning of the end, unfortunately. Okay. Because Deputy Price had followed them in his patrol car with two other cars following behind him filled with other Klansmen close behind. And around 25 minutes later, at 1025, uh, Deputy Price had sped up and caught up with the core station wagon before it crossed the border into the relative safety of the next county over. And that's when Price ordered the three to get out of their car and to get into his. Uh, He had pulled them over, they got out, and then he, I guess, re-arrested them, Mm quote-unquote. And then he drove them off to a deserted area. And what on, was the reason mm-hmm. for the arrest? Oh, uh, no reason. No reason was good. <laughs> okay. So they were released from jail and then chased by cops to be arrested. That is correct. Okay, good, good. I just want to make sure. Yeah, um, you are. I haven't missed following like a, like correct. A, like a crucial detail because it feels nope. like maybe I have. Okay. All right. No. Good job. <laughs> he pulls them over makes him get into his car and he drives over to an area on rock cut road while being followed by the lynch mob. um, Hate that more. Yeah. And now I'm picturing like pitchforks and what's the fire? Tiki torches. Now there's a party. It's always a party with a tiki torch. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, are they, like, in cars chasing them? Are they on yes. horseback? They're in modern cars. Can I picture them on horseback? If you'd like. Hmm. It is you know, 1964. Well, I mean, the I mean, the clan love horses. That's all I mean. Like, they are. They do. They, they do. They love to be on a horse. That's the only the thing they do. The ones I know. They just love horses. That's all. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Yeah, so um, when he got them in his car, he drove them uh, off to a secluded area, and then he turned them over to the Klansmen, who then beat Cheney and shot mm. and killed Schwerner. Just Goodman, like right away. And Cheney, yes. John Cheney was not only beaten, but he oh. was shot two more times. Um, he was shot a total of three, and he was also castrated. <clears throat> oh. I actually yes. forgot about that part. Yeah. Um, and then it was said that Alton W. Roberts, who was 26 at the time, who was a dishonorably discharged U.S. Marine, who had worked as a salesman in Meridian. He was a uh-huh. six foot three inch uh, tall, 270 pound dude. And according to witnesses that were present then, Roberts was the one that shot both Goodman and Schwerner at point blank range. Mm. And then he shot Cheney in the head after um, another accomplice whose name was James Jordan shot Cheney in the abdomen. So he's like the most murderer. Yes. Yes. Cause like everyone there is the murderer, but like he's mm-hmm. like the most murderer. Yes. The most, the mostest. After the victims had been shot, they were quickly loaded into the station wagon and they were transported up to Old Jolly Farm, whose owner was well aware of his friend's imminent arrival. And he was waiting there with a bulldozer. 
Um, and there was a shallow um, earthen dam that was on Old Jolly Farms property because a farm pond was under construction. And so he was waiting out there with his nice bulldozer. And when the caravan rolled up, they threw the bodies in the dam and covered it over with the bulldozer. Later, autopsies would show that uh, Mr. Goodman had fragments of red clay in his lungs and clay particles grasped in his fist. So which he was alive. Could suggest that he was probably buried alive. Yeah. Oh, uh, no. uh, yeah. I, hmm. I thought they were dead. Uh, we just I know. said that they, we just said that they were dead. I, 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 I for dramatic purposes, yes, Kevin. Miss. <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> I'm sorry, yes. Horrible. I'm sorry. On June 22nd, (laughs) about 150 federal agents from the New Orleans office uh, had arrived in um, Philadelphia to begin a kidnapping investigation, um, Mm -hmm. and that was spearheaded by then Attorney General RFK. It was the federal agent's job to investigate it because Mm -hmm. the state, uh, we'll come to find out, was not so willing to help for a number of reasons. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so here we are. Federal agents have swarmed Mississippi, and it would ultimately come to around 200 agents working on the case at one point. On June 23rd, the next day, that's when two native um, residents had okay. come across a smoldering station wagon that was um, right. basically tossed in some farm area. Was it the, the farm... No, it wasn't. And they had alerted um, the law enforcement. So the feds Mm -hmm. had become aware of the smoking, smoldering car, the station wagon. And there were no bodies found at that time. Focus then shifted from a rescue mission to a a recovery mission. Mm -hmm. And not much was known for the next few weeks. So throughout July... Mm -hmm. Investigators had combed the woods and fields, swamps and rivers. And in that process of looking for these three missing men, um, ultimately they ended up finding the remains of eight other black men that were completely unrelated to this event. I'm sorry, what? Eight killed, murdered black men found in the river area. Yeah. Uh, so this is just where everybody knew where this is where we put the bodies. It's kind of, it makes you wonder. Yeah. How that many Um, could be found. I think it's pretty clear. I'm not really Mm. wondering about much. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure. (sighs) Yeah. Two of them were identified as Henry D and Charles Moore, who were college students who had been, Kidnapped, beaten, and murdered in May of 1964. And another body that was found was uh, 14-year-old Herbert Orsby, who was wearing a core T-shirt. And there was not much else information that was ever released about the five other bodies discovered. The case by that point was also drawing national attention, in Uh large part because... Let's be honest, Schwerner and Goodman were both white, and they were from the North. Absolutely. You know, Mickey's wife, her name was Rita, um, was also a member of CORE, 
And she tried to convert that kind of attention that the nation was having. She actually she turned that attention to the overlooked victims of racial violence. Okay. She was quoted as saying, the, the slaying of a Negro in Mississippi is not news. It is only no. because my husband and Andrew Goodman were white that the national alarm has been sounded. Well, goddamn. Mm-hmm. Good for her. So 44 days later... After their disappearance and from a tip from an anonymous informant that was decades later identified as Mississippi Highway Patrol Officer Maynard King. Excuse me. Wonder where he got that information from. I quite wonder. That um, that informant's tip set investigators to an earthen dam on Old Jolly Farms land outside of Philadelphia, Mississippi. It was there that the FBI uncovered the bodies of Schwerner, Cheney, and Goodman on August 4th. It was reported that um, Maynard King provided the grave locations to FBI after obtaining the information from an anonymous third party, (laughs) which that third party was allegedly a mob informant that the FBI had hired to travel down to Mississippi, gave him money, Give him a gun, and we're like, we need you to find out information that we can't legally. And uh, <laughs> wait, what? And so he found some like store owner. This guy so found some got, like, mobster, a, a confidential informant yes. for the FBI. Yes, he was paid. And he's in the, but well. he's in the mob. Yes, takes and a so gun. They sent, they sent him down to Mississippi. Uh-huh. They're like, rough up some Klansmen. We need answers, essentially. <laughs> Which he did. Well, why couldn't they have sent a few more and just gotten rid of them? Mob I versus wonder, miss. Mob versus Klan. Damn, miss. I'd watch that, for, like, Aliens versus I'm Predators. I'm not for maybe. alternative justice or um, or legal systems like the mob and the Klan. <laughs> just, um, but maybe if they attacked each other. They true. <laughs> So might so, just solve the problem. I'm just kidding. It's not a real opinion that I have. Yeah, Stop. calm down. Calm Stop down. it. Uh, so the FBI has never denied nor confirmed that story. That remains yeah. to be known. And the FBI continued throughout the fall of 1964 uh, to investigate the case. State and local law enforcement did not pursue a thing. They claimed insufficient evidence and that... Oh, Yeah. They also were like, look, this this disappearance, allegedly, of these three men, that's a hoax. All right? That's the national media stirring up trouble. Fake news. Big, fake news. Mm-hmm. Fucking fake news. It's a hoax. <laughs> they deflected the seriousness of the moment, uh, downplaying that they, the, the three civil rights activists were probably somewhere just hiding out in Cuba. Just, you oh, know, being right. real professionals about Based this. Based on truth and facts. And facts, alternative facts. It really does sound very similar, don't you think? Yes, it does. It's shockingly, <laughs> like aggressively so. So get this, get this shit. Okay. Uh, because murder was a crime covered by state law in Mississippi, Correct. the federal government could not bring charges. So instead, on December they didn't 4th. They have those hate crime laws, yeah, I yeah. guess. So on December 4th, 1964, the Justice Department instead charged 21 Klansmen with conspiring to violate Schwerner, Cheney's, 
and Goodman's civil rights by way of murder. Whatever. I'll take it. Yeah. These 21 dudes weren't just, yeah. These dudes were not just clans. You're not going to take this guy? Here's 21 then. Yeah. Deal with that. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) <laughs> so some of these weren't just Klansmen, you know, like we were talking about. They were cops. They were right. sheriffs. They were right. farmers. They weren't they were, known Klansmen. They weren't known Klansmen, of course. Um, and, of course, our old pal Deputy Price. Well, isn't that interesting? Hmm. Which I, for one, I am shocked. Shock, shock, shocked that members of, of law enforcement were also members of, of this police? kind of organization. I mean, I'm... I'm, have you ever heard of such a thing? I have never heard of that. Yeah. Well. I am still getting chills from thinking about that. Ah. You just can't even begin to imagine. No. Prosecutors brought the charges before the federal grand jury, and they ended up indicting 18 of the 21 men in January of 1965. The yeah. following month... Presiding Judge William Harold Cox dismissed the charges against the majority of the defendants. He was maintaining that the law applied only to law enforcement individuals. So in that case, it was just Deputy Sheriff Price, the county sheriff, and a patrolman. I mean, that's really, I guess, it's a lot more than I expected. (laughs) I just assumed they would just be blanket, blanket dismissals. The prosecution appealed, and in 1966, the Supreme Court reinstated the charges for all of them, ruling that the law applied to both law enforcement officials and civilians. Bitch. Boom. (laughs) In February of 1967, so we've jumped ahead a couple years, uh, Uh, another federal grand jury had ended up indicting the men once again because there was some kind of um, technicality that was preventing the— yeah, the original grand jury. So they reconvened another grand jury and they ended up reindicting everybody. And in October of 1967, the trial began in Judge Cox's courtroom. Now, Cox was known as a segregationist and he had been the subject of an unsuccessful impeachment attempt after describing African-American witnesses in an earlier case as chimpanzees. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. Unsuccessfully impeached. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also like super original. What the fuck? Um, I just, I'm not at all surprised. And honestly, I think I am surprised, but because that's all he said. Yeah. Well, that he was uh, being impeached for. Sure, sure, sure. That's what I mean. I mean, I'm surprised that there was even talk of an impeachment. Correct. You're right. You're right. So already the prosecution had their hands fucking full. Um, apparently, the, it so hard for the prosecution. <laughs> apparently the defense attorney asked a question like insinuating that Mickey Schwarmer was like part of some like sex assault ring. And apparently Judge Cox like took a like umbrage to that and mm-hmm. kind of shot back at the defense and scolded them. So kind of gave a glimmer of hope that this 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 segregationist judge, professed mm-hmm. segregationist, would be mm-hmm. uh, at well, all fair, impartial, impartial, as we will say. I mean, it's a it's a nice, it's a good sentiment. I do, I don't know. I mean, it's probably just because it's un unre- it's not relevant to the matter yeah. at hand, and it's probably speculation. But as the trial proceeded, 
The mm-hmm. prosecution read a 1964 confession from two of the assailants. And they oh. basically confirmed <laughs> that after the three had left the Philadelphia jail, uh, mm-hmm. De- Deputy Price contacted Baptist minister Edgar Killen, <laughs> one of the leaders of the local Ku Klux Klan, <laughs> and Pastor of Killen. Of course, of course. <laughs> and Pastor mm-hmm. Killen directed Klan members, other Klan members, let me say, to gather mm-hmm. in Philadelphia that evening. And when two cars filled with Klansmen headed out for the outskirts of Philadelphia, Deputy Price released those three workers from jail. So he waited until they were on their way. It was all mm-hmm. fucking coordinated. It was absolutely. It was a full blown, full blown conspiracy. No, it was full blown, and you know it. Full blown conspiracy. Catching up with the three civil rights workers on Highway 19, the Klansmen forced the men into their cars and drove the vehicles up um, to the secluded spot. That's Mm -hmm. where um, James Jordan had shot Cheney, Wayne Roberts had shot Schwerner and Goodman, and then they brought them back to the farm and they put them in the dam, unfortunately, and then they... um, And then they decided to get rid of the cars, but for some reason they did like they were going to drive it out to a completely separate state. I want to say Alabama, but um, it didn't end up happening like that. It just finally got abandoned and then set ablaze, like not far nearby, right? Yeah, like fairly (laughs) nearby. You're like, why are we going out of out of our way to cover our tracks? We're never going to get in trouble. (laughs) I'm not driving to Alabama. (laughs) Yeah. So um, during that trial, so they found seven of the defendants guilty, which included Deputy Price. Nice. Um, Yeah. I'm shocked. Right. In three of those cases, the jury failed to reach a verdict. Uh, One of them, uh, one juror, sorry, one juror refused to convict a minister just on principle. Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So, so I think uh, Killen Alliance is in the wrong spot, but cool. So, so Pastor Killen walked free. <laughs> Just what a what bullshit. Yeah, and it took you a know couple who years. Did the same things as them, right? Yeah. So um, they uh, the convicted criminals gave more un- or they applied for more unsuccessful appeals, um, and they were ultimately exhausted by 1970. And that's when they were finally serving their sentences for their their crimes, which were not murder again, uh, mind you. Right. It was for civil rights violations, right? Which so none of them served more than six years in prison, right? Um, it's more than I would have ever assumed mm-hmm. than anyone got, which is it not caused like such a national outrage, though. And that's and they were. Assisted? The, the the murders uh, yes oh, okay. yeah the yes the whole body hunt all of that mm-hmm. was national headline and Lyndon Johnson was the president at the time mm-hmm. and he was desperately trying to get the Civil Rights Act passed and this case literally ended up being a turning point for the passage like a of the Civil Rights factor. Act a pivotal factor absolutely because it happened mere months before and when uh, the bodies were found uh, the White yeah. House was able to curry enough votes um, to get the... uh, Isn't that how it always is, though? Yeah. We can't just do it because we're decent people and it's the right thing. 
we have to wait till like literally the absolute fucking worst happens. And then we're like, oh, well, I guess maybe that could be a problem. And I'm not even going over the amount of time that these um, fuckers that were the, the, the seven mm-hmm. that were found guilty, plus all of the others that were in on the conspiracy, mm-hmm. how much time and effort they put into these murders yeah. by tracking them for mo- like months. Like, in, like once they got into town, they were tracking them. Yeah. They, it, like I said, it was a mixture of They knew cops. that they were going out of town business people they knew they were going out of town mm-hmm. um they knew they'd be coming back and and all of that was orchestrated yeah, and yeah. it's just awful so depressing to think about that and so by the mid 1970s anyone that had gone to jail for these crimes that they were convicted for were released and the case went cold um for decades and in 1998 Jerry Mitchell, who was an award-winning investigative reporter for the Jackson Clarion Ledger, he had published excerpts from a 1984 interview with one of the convicted criminals, whose name was Samuel Bowers, in which he spoke openly about the killings. So he was quoted as saying, I was quite delighted to be convicted and have the main instigator of the entire affair walk out of the courtroom a free man, which everybody, including the trial judge and the prosecutors and everybody else knew that that happened, which Bowers was referring to Pastor Killen. <laughs> of pastor. course he was. <laughs> I mean, like... You couldn't make it more gross if you were, like, writing historical fiction. I know. Like, if you were just, like, trying to, like, rewrite this story and make it even worse, like, you can't. (laughs) Like, you literally can't. Like, like, obviously, the main villain is the Baptist minister, and obviously, Obviously. he gets away with all of it. He walks (laughs) fucking free. Just, of course. So the following year in 1999, Mississippi Mm -hmm. Attorney General Michael Moore announced that the state would reopen the case to investigate further. Michael Um, Moore, the the documentarian? The documentarian, yes. (laughs) That's really interesting. I didn't know about his time as governor. (laughs) So at the Mississippi AG's request, the FBI turned over more than 40,000 pages that were related to the initial investigation. So they were really trying to ramp for up. Keeping. <laughs> I know, I know, <laughs> which actually led to a grand jury in January of 2005. So we jumped ahead six years. What? I know, I know. Maybe forty thousand pages. Have I done that of, today? Oh, crazy. So, <laughs> so in 2005, um, they were able to fucking charge Pastor. Killing with murder. Was he still alive? Yes, he was fucking 80. Hell yeah. Think you're getting away with it and you're like, ooh, I'm 80. I'm done. Yeah. Boom, motherfucker. Although several of the other conspirators were still alive at the time, the grand jury said they didn't have sufficient evidence um, to indict anyone else besides the pastor. Whatever. The pastor is whatever. Yeah. The trial drew national news attention when it first occurred in the 60s and when the pastor was um, put on trial, of course. I Members- just thought 
Why didn't I know about this? Why didn't I hear about this in 2005? And I was like, oh, right. I was in high school. And you were in high no, school. You're I was school. very consumed by high school. Yes. <laughs> okay, and did you know right, of right, this right. story in high school? I can't say that I, I know. I, I don't mm. know. Yeah. Cause I, um, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think that I would have. Yeah. I don't think I would have. I don't think I would have known until, I mean, the only civil rights things we ever really talked about is like Martin Luther King right. a little bit. And that's like it. Yeah. Rosa Parks. Um, like really just like, whatever the level like above surface level is like yes. the least deep dive you can go. <laughs> um, so um, the pastor's trial in 2005 members of the victim's family were present at that trial. Some as witnesses yeah. and some um, that were there just to observe. And the jury ended up finding the pastor um, not, they were able Unfortunately, they found insufficient evidence to convict him of murder, but they did find that pastor killing was guilty of manslaughter instead. Oh, surprise. So at 80 years old, he was sentenced to three separate sentences of 20 years each, so serving 60 years in prison. (laughs) That fucker went to jail, motherfucker. Did he die immediately? He was 80. What do you think? I want to. I want to tell you. What do you think? Well, happened honestly, then? this two thousand five. He was eighty. He has six years mm-hmm. in prison. Part of me thinks he just gets there and just drops dead. The okay. other part of me thinks that like evil people really just fester for a while in old age. Yeah. So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with old festering. You'd be right. Yes. The pastor did not die until January of 2018 at the age of 92 (laughs) in jail. (laughs) I mean, I'm glad he got to serve 12 years in jail. Um, Is there, I mean, I mean, yes, 12 years. Who saw that coming? It's the like, evil. It keeps that body running. It it does. When bodies run on spite, evil it's like the dark forever. Uh, it's like the dark side in Star Wars. Like it's still yeah. Jedi, but like the bad kind. The bad kind. I don't know anything about it, but it's the uh, bad. But kind. yes, that was the only person ever convicted of this entire saga. Wow. And it. Well, wait, at least he deserved um, it the most. Yeah. And, and he didn't get anything near what he deserved. Not, not, not near. And neither were the other people that were arrested and charged initially, too. <laughs> so that is my story this week. Oh God, it's so gross. I hate it. Good job. Oh, thank you. Thank not you. really much I can do on my part to like make it fun and lighthearted. <laughs> so. Okay, miss. Do your um, best. This better I'm just be saying, good. Like, mine's about a death. <laughs> Like a mysterious. Well, that's okay. Death. We are in a death centric podcast. That's okay. I'm just saying that's what I mean by saying it's not like uplifting. So, Miss, please make us feel better with our lives, with your spooky story. Will you be able to do this? I mean, it's better for sure. There's okay, no anything. There's no confirmed murder. Okay. Right. right. Okay. 
Uh, today I am doing The Mysterious Death of Edgar Allan Poe. Ooh! Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Wow! I felt that from my toes, Kev. Great job. That was a full yeah. body ooh. It really was. Y'all, he like threw his head back and like howled. You just like <laughs> rocked my world, baby. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I had originally wanted to do like um like a full story on this, like the life and death of of Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. But there's really it's not like true crimey and like it's I no, love No, he married his I, cousin. Bing bang boom. All right. Well, thanks for giving thanks for giving it away. Well, I guess we'll just go home now. I guess we're um, just going to go home. But yeah, so I decided and there's not like a big crime in it. So, mm-hmm. uh I was like I'm going to do spoop. I love so, it. Um, in case you don't know, mm-hmm. Edgar Allan Poe is the granddaddy of spook. He wrote some of the most famously macabre tales of his or any other time. His stories define Victorian Gothic writing and are read regularly today. I am personally a huge fan. I bet your Gothic ass you are. <laughs> That's right. Uh, He died young and mostly penniless and alone. The mysteries surrounding his death uh, are speculated about it to this day. Mm. So let's give a little backstory. Uh Edgar was born on January 19th, 1809 in Boston to actors Elizabeth Arnold Poe and David Poe Jr. Within the first three years of his life, both of his parents were dead and he was shipped off to Richmond to live with his presumed godfather, John Allen presumed okay i mean i don't know why i read two different places and it said presumed and i was like okay i I guess it was only presumed um later poe was sent to the university of virginia by john allen in 1826 but the wealthy tobacco farmer was only willing to pay for a third of the costs and expenses leaving edgar to figure out the rest Poe was an excellent student and professors really liked him, but to keep up with his expenses, he started gambling. As is usually the case, this bit him in the ass is what I wrote. I don't remember <laughs> writing that. <laughs> and by the end of this, his first term, he was burning his furniture in the fireplace to keep warm. And without other options, he was forced to drop out. Meanwhile, he still has this like wealthy ass fucking godfather who was like, you're not my real son. I'm not giving you all the money. <laughs> when he returned home, he found out that his fiance Elmira was no longer his fiance and was in fact engaged to a different man. I know. Wow. Elmira. <laughs> he was gone for one term. Jesus. She moved on quick. Uh devastated, Poe moved to Boston and joined the army so he could support himself while becoming a writer. For some reason, this was not good enough for John Allen. And so remember, John wouldn't pay his, his tuition. But so John purchased Edgar's way out of the military, which is something you could do, uh-huh. um, and enrolled him at West Point. <laughs> like, okay. Cool. Um, and again, he did pretty well. But as most things with Poe go, uh, this didn't work out because for no given reason he was absent from all drills and classes for an entire week without telling anyone and was kicked out 
after having only completed eight months. So again, he was without options. Uh, This time he thought he'd try his luck with his father's relatives in Baltimore. Unfortunately, he was robbed immediately upon meeting his cousin. And then I wrote, Baltimore, (laughs) you've never changed. Not one bit. Dang. Just immediately meets a cousin who robs him blind. Oh my God. Um, in Baltimore, he met his aunt Maria Clem, who began to care for him. Um, and for the first time in his life, he had a bit of stability. Um, and he really started to thrive while under Aunt Clem's care. I mean, he's like a full ass adult, like at this point. But he is. I, I do understand the sentiment of like thriving, having somebody care for you. Maybe that's why all my dishes are dirty. There we go. While he was with Aunt Clem, he began publishing. First poems, then short stories. They gained him a little attention, and he had a little notoriety, which led to a job at the Southern Literary Messenger, a literary magazine in Richmond, Virginia. Things really Mm -hmm. were seeming to turn around for Poe, and at this time, he even managed to fall in love again. (sighs) Unfortunately, this time he fell in love with his first cousin. Cousin. 13-year-old Virginia. Yes. Aunt Clem's daughter. I always get, well, I not always get them mixed up, but there's a line to be drawn between him and Jerry Lee Lewis. Mm. Didn't he also marry his 13-year-old cousin? Mm -hmm. Actually, I think you're exactly correct. So since I don't know what Edgar's cousin looked like, I picture Jerry Lee Lewis's cousin Hmm. as... Edgar's wife. <laughs> she? Oh my God. She was so short. She looked like a child. Yeah, she was short. He was fucking. Oh lengthy. my God, right, because she was 13. <laughs> <gasps> yeah. That's disgusting. So that's Baltimore's claim to fame. It's mm. named after his namesake. Mm-mm. That, is, but to be fair, this was 1830s, not the uh. 1950s. Uh-huh. I mean, that's a fairness. Because even for the 1950s, a first cousin is a big deal. And a yeah. 13-year-old is a big deal. I'm less yeah. surprised about the 13-year-old part, though. So, yeah, I always think of those two. That's gross. Yeah. It was 1935, and at the time of the wedding, Virginia was 13, and Edgar was uh-huh. 27. Yep. So he was double her age, but he was really only 14 years older than her. Oh my God, that's so weird. So gross. Um, But uh, anyway, this is so gross, but no one had an issue with it. I don't think it was necessarily the norm, the age, or the relation, but both were common enough that nobody really cared. Aunt Clem was the only one who cared, and her issue was the age difference and that Poe was poor. Not at all because they were first cousins. Poe was Poe. Huh? I said Poe po po was Poe. Po. He, he was yes. Poe. But, I mean, they, they were known to fight a lot, but by all accounts, literally everyone... <laughs> Everyone said this was what say they were married their first year of marriage. She was four, four, 14. That was mm-hmm. a real stutter. I don't know what just happened. That was that was a legit stutter. A legit stutter. And there's actually a 
lot of reports that are completely unsubstantiated that the the marriage was never consummated. It was basically like they were companions. And uh, I don't buy it. I think yeah. that I mean it's definitely possible that it's true. Crazier things have happened and I'm more than willing to be wrong. But I'm thinking for the time and the fact that like it really wasn't a big deal. It sounds a little bit like whitewashing history a bit. Mm-hmm. To make it more palatable mm-hmm. for 2022. Perhaps. Um, God, I wish it was true, though. You know, he didn't have to marry a 13-year-old <laughs> if he wanted a companion. All right, I'm back on my own, my own side. But Edgar really was poor. He continued going up and down the East Coast, moving and writing wherever would have him, but it was never enough. Um, mm-hmm. When his first story, his first collection of short stories... Tales of the Grotesque and Arabesque was published. (laughs) He wasn't even paid. He was given 25 copies of his own book. Oof. Which, like, I don't know if he was aware of. Maybe he was aware of that and that was perfectly fine. But I just imagine him being unaware and just being like, no, 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 I... I have to eat and so does my child bride. I need to to feed my child bride. (laughs) Uh, it wasn't until four. I'm sorry. It wasn't until five years later, in 1845, when he published *The Raven* in the New York Mirror, when he earned his real celebrity status. And again, things started looking up. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't last. <laughs> Within two years, young Virginia caught tuberculosis and died at the age of 24 in 1847. Damn. So just like her life was tragic too. Yes. Literary critics at the time believed Virginia's death would be the death of Poe because he was so completely devoted to her. Yeah. But by 1849, Poe was drinking heavily and things were spiraling. <laughs> so right on track. Oh, right on Somehow track. By, by the beginning of that summer, he had really cleaned up his act and he had quit drinking altogether. He, joined a temperance group. Yes. Moved back to Richmond and went back to that first fiance, Elmira. They were both single and they were just like, ah. Eh? Edgar and Elmira got engaged again and Poe again was working and things were (laughs) looking good. (laughs) Um, In... September 1849, Poe had a business trip. He had he was going to Philadelphia and to kind of sell a, a, a collection of short stories and mm-hmm. to uh, a publisher in Philadelphia. And the plan was he was taking the first steamer into Baltimore. So the first night he would go to Baltimore. And then the, I think the next mm-hmm. morning it was supposed to, it like went to New York, but he was supposed to get off at Philly. Okay. This is where the mystery begins. Ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Edgar really did have a business meeting in Philadelphia, but he never made it. <gasps> he was supposed to take the steamership to Baltimore and then another to Philly. And the night before his journey, before he left Richmond, Edgar had visited a doctor for a fever, but otherwise seemed okay. Okay. In the morning, Elmira took him to the dock to see him off on the steamer to Baltimore. 
and where he arrived the next day on September 28th. No one knows why or what happened, but when he got to Baltimore, he simply disappeared for five days. Nobody saw him. Only to be found on October 3rd, 1849, by an employee of the Baltimore Sun, Joseph W. Walker. He was delirious and immobile and literally in a gutter. And he was outside a pub where they were, it was election day. So they were, uh, hold apparently like now we hold elections in schools. They used to have them in pubs. So (laughs) that makes sense. He was in the gutter outside and he was found by Mr. Joseph W. Walker. One odd detail is that Uh the clothes he was wearing didn't appear to be his, He had a sort of uniform. He always wore the same thing. He had his usual black wool suit. But now he was wearing a cheap, ill-fitting, almost coal-colored, graying, tattered suit and a straw hat. A straw Uh, hat. Yeah. So he muttered a few things about a doctor and Mr. Walker apparently knew this name he was saying. And wrote, got somebody, I don't know how communication worked, but somebody went quick, notified (laughs) this doctor and (laughs) the doctor notified them back and, and told him to go to the hospital. So he was taken to church home Mm -hmm. and hospital that afternoon. Okay. He was assumed to be drunk. So they put the weak and weary Poe into a special room reserved for patients ill from intoxication. So, um, the drunk tank. (laughs) Of 1849. And unfortunately, he never really fully regained consciousness. He would come close um, sometimes and he would would mutter things that mostly didn't make sense. And Dr. John J. Moran wrote to Poe's aunt slash mother-in-law, Maria Clem, that Poe's last days were filled with, quote, vacant converse with spectral and imagery objects on the walls. His face was pale and his whole person was drenched in perspiration. So he was hallucinating. Hmm. Yes. By his death, Dr. Moran was actually convinced that Poe was not drunk and had not been drinking in the days leading up to his death. The duration of his final illness and the fact that he seemed to be slightly recovered in the hospital before worsening and then dying also seemed mm-hmm. very inconsistent with alcohol withdrawal. Okay. And huh. then uh, hmm. Edgar Allan Poe died on October 7th, 1849, and his cause of death was listed as swelling of the brain. Um, okay. He was only 40 years old, and his last words are alleged to be... Alleged. Quote, Lord, help my poor soul, end quote. <laughs> he was then buried in an unmarked grave in Baltimore. <laughs> uh-huh. So that's why we claim him. That's why he's ours. <laughs> and if you're not from Nothing Baltimore, else you it. really have to understand that Baltimore really does claim Edgar Allan Poe. We we truly do. I don't he know if that's lived. correct or not. We probably shouldn't. Maybe he belongs to Virginia, but like that's the thing. Like we are like, no, anymore. fuck you. He's ours regardless. No matter that he just stopped you are here where you and died. Then died in you're from where you die. <laughs> yeah. No matter he never really like You're lived, from where your here. wife, cousin and mother-in-law aunt are from, right? Yeah. That's where yeah. his family was. He was only 40. I didn't realize he was so young. But And while he has a cause of death listed, 
Theories uh-huh. abound as to what really happened. So, Ooh. you want to hear the Smithsonian's top nine guesses? Sure do. Okay. All right. Number one, a beating. In 1867, one of the first theories, to, and honestly, I'm quoting from this, SmithsonianMag.com. Okay. I didn't write this. In 1867, one of the first theories to deviate from the swelling of the brain or alcohol poisoning was published by biographer E. Oak Smith in her article, quote, Autobiographic Notes, Edgar Allan Poe, end quote. At the instigation of a woman, Smith writes, a woman wrote that he was cruelly beaten, blow upon blow, by a ruffian who knew of no better mode of avenging supposed injuries. It is well known that brain fever followed, end quote. Okay. Other accounts also mention ruffians who had beaten Poe senseless before death. As Eugene Didier wrote in his 1872 article, The Grave of Poe, while that in Baltimore, Poe ran into some friends from West Point who prevailed upon him to join them for drinks. Poe, having not been able to handle his liquor because of his Uh recent sobriety, became madly drunk after a single glass of champagne, after which Uh he followed his friends to wander the streets in his drunken state, was beaten and robbed. This is like a cop-out. This is not at all fun for me. And I no, don't like it. No. I mean, it's pretty logical, seems, though. I will. Yeah, it I'll seems give super it logical. Um, although even someone who's sober, I don't think is going to get that drunk from a single glass of champagne and then continue on to die of alcohol poisoning. Oh, I know, but... Number two! Some serious ways. <laughs> <laughs> Cooping. Others believe that Poe fell victim to the practice known as cooping, a method of voter fraud practiced by gangs in the 19th century, and that was hugely popular in Baltimore's, where unsuspecting Hmm. victim would be kidnapped, disguised, and forced to vote for a specific candidate multiple times using multiple disguises. Voter fraud was extremely common in Baltimore, and in the mid-1800s, the polling site where Walker found him was known as a place where cooping was known to happen. The fact that Poe was found delirious on election day is no coincidence. That's honest. That's really an weird. interesting one. It's one I haven't heard of. Me neither. They think he was a victim of gang violence, essentially. So number yeah. three, again, is super boring. Alcohol. Uh, it's been documented that after a glass of wine, he was staggering drunk. His sister had the same problem. It seems, oh, it seems to be something hereditary. Maybe he was allergic okay. to alcohol. That's, um, that's okay. Months before his death, Poe became a vocal member of the temperance movement, stopped drinking, uh-huh. um, something he had struggled with his whole life. So they really think that something convinced him to, to go back to drinking. And once he started, he ended up drinking to death. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's probably, it, again, it's logical. It could definitely be true. I kind of think that the doctor might be onto something, um, but who, who knows? Who knows what doctors know anything about in 1849? Who, like, <laughs> Number four is a quick one about um, carbon monoxide poisoning um, okay. from coal that was used for indoor lighting at the time. So he could have fallen asleep um near i don't know coal or near coal burning stove and he could have uh gotten carbon monoxide poisoning but this has been largely discredited heavy metal poisonings 
is the next one. I don't know how, I'm gonna skip this one because this is highly speculatory. Come on, Smithsonian. Rabies. Now this is actually one that uh, was um, I knew about because uh, University of Maryland Medical Center actually did like a, a thing about this. But in 1996, Dr. Benitez was participating in a, in a clinical study about rabies yeah. where they were researching assistance and researching its symptoms. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in he wrote, it's clear that Edgar Allan Poe had succumbed to rabies. According to his supervising physician, Dr. Moran, he had been admitted to the hospital due to lethargy and confusion. Once admitted, his condition began rapidly downward. Shortly, he was exhibiting delirium and hallucinations and rapid pulse. A Maryland cardiologist had diagnosed a clear case of rabies, which was fairly common in the 19th century. Yeah. He posited this idea in 1996 in the Maryland Medical Journal. And he said, obviously, it's not possible without DNA, but um, he had almost all of the, the symptoms. He developed a fear of water He ref and Poe refused to drink. Um, but there was no evidence of an animal bite. And hmm. this is largely speculative. It's fun, though. I kind of think it's fun. It's but. a fun little, yeah. The yeah. next one was a brain tumor, which definitely is possible. And then another less, another more boring option is he could have had the flu, which like, fine. Oof. It was 1849. <laughs> Number nine, <laughs> the last one, murder. Murder. So. In his 2000 book, Midnight Dreary, The Mysterious Death of Edgar Allan Poe, author John Evangelist Walsh offered another theory, that Poe was murdered by the brothers of his wealthy fiance, Elmira <gasps> Shelton. Using evidence Elmira. from newspapers, letters, and memoirs, Walsh argues that Poe actually made it to Philadelphia, where he was ambushed by Shelton's three brothers, who warned Poe against marrying their sister. Frightened by the experience, Poe disguised himself in new clothes and hid in Philadelphia for nearly a week before heading back to Richmond to marry Shelton. Shelton's brother intercepted Poe in Baltimore, Walsh postulates, beat him and forced him to drink whiskey, which they knew would send Poe into a deathly sickness. Walsh's theory has gained little traction among historians, but <laughs> is ultimately super fun. And it was called... Plausible, though not wholly persuasive. <laughs> and really, that I guess it could be worse. Um, and some kind of think it was uh, syphilis or meningitis or mm. or, um, or any a number, combination of all of these, like or just like it was eighteen forty nine, and we didn't know anything about medicine or how human bodies worked. Um, mm -hmm. But I love you know how much I love to speculate. So I'd love I, oh, yes. I love oh, murder. Yes. So I'm gonna go murder. What do you think? <laughs> I I think <sighs> I'm an old softy for the lore that he mm -hmm. died after a rousing night at the of course okay. he came in on saloon. Mm -hmm. Okay. So so he just wanted to have a good time and took it too far. I think so. Okay. You're fucking no fun, but fine. I know. Um, I know. I'm not looking for fun for this, but um, <laughs> yeah, we claim him as our own. Yeah. And we really don't have a, a right to do 
but we do. I honestly think, I don't know if it was alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. I think another fun idea is the, the voting fraud thing. I don't know why. That's a fun one. Yeah, I hadn't heard that one before. And apparently it was so common. But again, he was fairly well known in Baltimore at the time. So I doubt I doubt he would be targeted for that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I probably think it's something more like meningitis or encephalitis or syphilis uh, or something like that. One of those, like something or, that, really, or like I said, something that like more than the one, brain. <laughs> yeah, or all of them. Who knows? Yeah, probably syph. It's probably syph. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Everyone what, had the syph. Don't let anybody there. tell you that at any point in history, people waited for marriage. <laughs> Hell no. Because it's no, never, no, no. ever, ever been true. <laughs> yeah. So that's the mysterious death of Edgar Allan Poe. Yay. Great story, miss. I love that you told it. It's uh, such a great story that we we knew a lot about yeah. growing up here, obviously. And can we like briefly talk about the mysteriousness of his grave? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for so, years, do you know? Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, but you go ahead. It's your story. I really don't have too much. I was just going to say for years um, where he he was he was buried in an unmarked grave. So for years um, in Baltimore, mm-hmm. there was basically like a show that was put on on the anniversary of his death every year where someone, a mystery person to this day, yep. put on a pseudo- Poe costume and does what goes to the grave he, or they lay they, yeah they go to the grave and I think they lay roses and um a bottle mm-hmm. of whiskey that's right there's a bottle of whiskey or rum yeah and uh so that's what they they leave and no one's ever figured out who that person is yeah was they have stopped doing it in the past few years and everyone's have. trying to figure out you know why? What I found um, was that um, it was originally like an older man, and nobody knows mm-hmm. who this is. But his, yeah. the legend goes that his that he died around the early two thousands, and that his son took over. Also, mm, I think I've heard that, and that he just was fucking over it, and he didn't want to do it, and he just stopped yeah. doing it one time. <laughs> yeah, and um. And yeah, so that's that's a great story. This is Edgar Allan Poe. We um like he's spoopy, spooky. He is a spoopy fellow. I read him all the time, actually. Yeah. Do you have a preferred story of his? Um, I mean, The Raven is just such a classic. That's a classic. But also With the Telltale Heart. Telltale Heart. I like um, what's it? The House of Usher. Follow the House of Usher. Yeah. I think. Yes, that's the one I like. Yeah. Yay. Thank yeah. you so much, Miss. Of course. Thank you. Look at us. What are we on? Episode 18 now? Yeah, this is 18. So we can buy cigarettes and mm. vote and go to war, but not drink. Cannot drink. Not drink. We can definitely go to war, though. But you could take out $250,000 in student loans. Amen. 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 Sorry. So here's to us, 18 years old. Let's make some uh, 
Let's make some poor choices. Great huh? Life choices. Let's make some yeah. permanent, terrible life choices. <laughs> I'm so here for it. By this time next week, we're going to have some stories. <laughs> Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in this episode. Miss, where can they find us? Yeah, and if you, well, read my mind, they can find us everywhere at Creepy Inquiries Pod. And that, if you want to shoot us a a cute little email or anything, it's at creepyinquiriespod Mm -hmm. at gmail.com on all of our socials at creepyinquiriespod. Um, and if you want to, if you're just feeling extra, extra nice and, and giving, give us a little rate and review, maybe five stars. So great. Five. five, five or nothing. Don't even waste your time maybe five, with though. four or less. Come on now. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Tune in. And until next week. Bye.